Good evening and welcome to Cinema Death Cult, a eulogy for the death of motion pictures in podcast form. Tonight I will be talking about uh, the new Netflix movie, The Woman in the Window, starring Amy Adams and directed by Joe Wright. Um, Amy Adams plays a, a psychotherapist uh, who's agoraphobic. Uh, and living in an apartment in West Harlem. But, <laughs> but before I get to the movie, I should explain the mise-en-scene right now. So, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to find, you know, carve out time to do podcasts sometimes. So, you know, I, and I, I have to go to, um, I have to go to a sporting goods store today to pick up a new softball glove uh, for my daughter. And uh, I was like, hey, I had a spontaneous idea. Why don't I try to record the podcast in the car? So if you hear some, the sounds of a car, or maybe the white stripes, or some other music coming through the radio, hey, that's why. Mystery solved. I hope you'll be able to hear me. <laughs> uh, if you can't, maybe it'll just be a quiet podcast. Anyway, so I'm talking about The Woman in the Window. It's a new movie on Netflix. It's about, it's kind of like a riff on Rear rear Window. Um, Amy Adams plays this woman whose severe agoraphobia confines her to her uh, West Harlem apartment and uh, where she lives alone. She's estranged from her husband and her child and she witnesses uh, a murder uh, from across the street and she calls the police but you know uh, people don't believe her um, and also she oh she's also like uh, in addition to being a she takes a uh, addition to being agoraphobe she's also a substance abusing lady she takes some kind of psych meds for agoraphobia and anxiety and self-medicates with copious amounts of red wine so um, yeah, like I said, it's a it's an, it's new on Netflix, and it's getting scathing reviews right now, and for good reason. It's a really bad movie, but it's bad in an interesting way. So the director is a guy named Joe Wright, and I think he's an Englishman, uh, and he's directed a bunch of movies that are supposed to be good that I've never seen. I think like maybe a Jane Austen adaptation. Obviously, I'm not at my computer right now. I'm at the wheel of my car, so you'll forgive me. Uh, if I don't fact check that, but so he's supposed to be this flashy director, um, he's supposed to be a technically good craftsman or whatever, and um, it's that's not on display in this movie whatsoever. Amy Adams is a great actress, and she actually kind of looks to be doing some work in this movie because you know she's like a glamorous, beautiful movie star lady who's very, you know, athletic and fit and whatever. But in this movie, she put on a little bit of weight and the camera like makes a, and it's very unglamorized. And the camera kind of lingers over her body to show how unglamorized she is. So you see like um, her hair looks dirty and her lips are, you know, like not made up and her face is not made up. She looks kind of washed out. Um, 
it's kind of, you know, like award baity kind of thing, you know, like the, she wants everybody to know what a good actress she is. It's kind of a show-off thing, you know, it's like, oh, look at how I've transformed myself for this role, you know, I gained 10 pounds or whatever. Um, and Julianne Moore is in it, and she's in the movie for uh, one scene. Um, all spoilers, all fucking spoilers, by the way. So she's in the movie for one scene, and then she gets murdered. And it's like, it's crazy, because it's like Amy Adams, who, again, I like as an actress, but she just seems like to be doing this try-hard, you know, psychological realism, showing off all the homework that she did, kind of acting. And then Julianne Moore shows up, and she just looks like she she's wearing the clothes she showed up to on the set. She's just kind of funny and personable and charming and laid back and natural. And she just, and she's by far the best performance in the movie. All right. So, but then she immediately dies. And you're like, what the fuck? All right. So uh, Amy Adams, she's uh, this agoraphobic in this house. Uh, she was a child psychologist, right? So she, a new family moves in across the street. She's living alone in this huge um, brownstone in West Harlem. And a, and a new family moves in across the street. And there's this kind of psycho kid. Well, psycho, um, he just seems like kind of like there's something off with him. And you can't tell if it's like bad acting or uh, from this teenage boy actor. Or if it's like, um, you know, something's supposed to be a miss and probably both I mean that's the truth you know and Gary Oldman is the dad right and so then Julianne Moore comes over to um Amy Adams's apartment uh they have this conversation that seems kind of like tense but the way they play it is like really casual like it's just a couple ladies gabbing away you know and drinking wine wine mom you know drinking coffee till it's time for wine you know and then uh and then, then you see, then Amy Adams witnesses uh, uh, Julianne Moore getting stabbed in the apartment across the street. And, she, you know, then, so it's like, okay, the one kind of life in the movie is gone. And then, you know, so then she calls the police and she's, you know, going through all this agoraphobia, <laughs> wearing bathrobes and whatever. And so she calls the police, and the police don't believe her. It's like, no, no, no. And then she, the whole family shows up. I mean, you meet Gary Oldman before this. He comes over, too, and it's like, don't bother my son. Because first the son comes over, and then Julianne Moore comes over, and then Gary Oldman comes over. She's agoraphobic, so she doesn't leave the house, right? And then uh, the cops come over, and there's the big twisteroo. We're about like an hour into the movie and it's the big twisteroo which is that um, the family that uh, that Amy Adams is estranged from and has been talking to on the phone every day she tells her her psychiatrist to be in the movie that she talks to her family every day. They actually are dead and they have been dead for some time. And not only are they dead but she is responsible for their deaths for they f- they have this interesting flashback all right so all of a sudden uh oh yeah through up until this uh, up until this point in the movie there's like whenever amy adams wakes up there's this weird little effect and it looks kind of like i don't know like inky black maybe night stars or just like you know some black goo that has some white shit in it and um you're like hey what is this what is this intriguing thing they keep cutting to whenever she wakes up or and then she reaches for her phone whenever she wakes up her iphone which i found to be very funny 
and I'll talk about that more in a moment. Um, why I think that's funny, but uh, just to keep up with the um, plot summary. Oh yeah, so then all of a sudden the the cops like, no, your family is dead, and uh, there's a there's a, a tipped over uh, a crashed car that appears in her. Um, in her living room or whatever, someplace in her apartment, and it's this moment of surreality, and you're like, and you realize that okay, we're somehow, and what, what we're seeing isn't real, that we're somehow in her head, or you know, I don't know, whatever, and and it's revealed that she, that her family, her her husband, her strange husband, and her daughter, uh, both black, by the way, the the husband's played by Anthony Mackie, who plays the Falcon in the Marvel movies, and also is Papa Doc. Papa Doc in um, another cinema death cult subject, uh, Eight Mile. Um, he's an evil rapper <laughs> whose real name is Clarence. Uh, so he show, So it's a flashback to them driving, and you know they're trying to have his they have his conversation and something about like going to a vacation, and then uh, Anthony Mackie's like, "Well, I can't do this. This isn't fair to her. Uh, you know, we're not doing well." And then, you know, Amy Adams is like, no, we got to keep up appearances. And then Anthony Mack is like, well, how can we keep up appearances when you you cheated on me? You know, okay. And so there you go. Uh, and then uh, the, the phone, her phone rings. And it's, it says unknown caller. Um, Anthony Mack says, answer it, answer it, answer it. Uh, she doesn't answer it. And... Well, she doesn't answer it, and there's instead she drives the car off the road. It tumbles off of, into the trees and off a big hill, and uh, Anthony Mackie and the daughter die, and uh, Amy Adams survives, and all of a sudden you're back at the apartment where she's all agoraphobic, and it's like, oh, that's what caused the agoraphobia. All right, fine. There, there you go. It's caused the agoraphobia. And also, uh, so you... Are delusional, Amy Adams, and the, you're delusional because of the medication you've been taking, which people have pointedly told you throughout the movie, don't drink while you're on this medication, and you've laughed it off, but you've been hallucinating, and you've been delusional, and uh, because of that, no one's going to believe that you witnessed a murder. Okay. Um, and then, see, that's the point where, and this is why I'm talking about this movie, because... I, mean, I think about this a lot. I think about like kind of a lot of crime movies and, and true crime culture, and uh, we, you know, we're we're sort of um, conditioned to suspect each other and in any of you know stuff and whatever, and not you know give e give each other the benefit of the doubt or presume innocence, you know. Uh, and in movies like this, it's suspense crime thrillers. This happens often. And it happens in this movie too, where you know somebody uh, suspects somebody of, of doing something, and a bunch of evidence mounts up uh, in contra, you know, that, that does not support that suspicion. But then in the end, because they kept sus suspecting, you know, it turned out to be true. And if the movie had stopped right here, it would have been great. I think. Not great. I mean, there's still other stuff I'm going to address in a minute, but it would have been a great 
way to kind of upend that. You know, it's like, no, this lady has just been fucking crazy the whole time. She's been hallucinating or whatever. Um, but instead, you know, you have to go through this pro forma uh, half an hour where um, actually uh, the, 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 the pill-popping wine mom agoraphobe was right. Uh, like, she sees some photo of... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not only is... Um, not only did she uh, kill, her, kill her family in a car crash and she's been hallucinating all the time, but Gary Oldman's wife is alive and she's right there and it's uh, famous actress Jennifer Jason Lee, um, who's unrecognizable in this movie and doesn't do anything or say anything. <laughs> she's just, you know, there. She shows up, I don't know, uh, to, to get a paycheck, I guess. I don't know. That's, uh, you know, so, um, and then she's like, no, I saw a lady die, but, you know, hey, you're delusional. But she kind of accepts that, you know, there's, um, that what she saw didn't happen. Uh, and, oh, yeah, also, it's somebody lives in her basement. It's, um, whatever, that guy, the blonde-haired guy whose dad is Kurt Russell and his mom is Goldie Hawn. Wyatt Russell, I think is the guy, the actor's name. He's okay, whatever. And um, he's just playing like a Brooklyn loser guy, you know, artsy fartsy guy who's a handyman, uh, knock around guy. And then the, I'm sorry, I'm about to make a big turn onto a highway. Oh yeah, so then you know, there's the wife. the The wife's alive and doesn't look anything like Julianne Moore. And then she's like, "No, I know what I saw." But then she's like, "All right, maybe I'm just hallucinating stuff." But then um, she took a, she took like a selfie of. Oh, she has a dumb cat in the movie. <laughs> uh, so she has a dumb cat in the movie, and she took a picture of the cat while Julianne Moore was visiting her. Little, like you know, cute photo of the cat with a wine glass. And um, she realizes as she's looking at the picture that Julianne Moore, her reflection was in the wine glass. So there's proof that Julianne Moore was at her house. And um, there's somebody that's stalking her or something. Somebody sneaking into her apartment, taking pictures of her and emailing them to her. Oh, and also there's some earlier in the movie, uh, I forgot to mention, because it's convoluted and stupid, but she had learned that um, one of Gary Oldman's old secretaries had died. He's like a banker or something. And he moved from Boston. I don't know. It's stupid. But, you know, it shows like her. The whole, like, everything that happens in the movie is like her Googling stuff. Like, that's the. That's like the. Um, the plot driver. You know, she doesn't have any expertise. Uh, like, whereas in Rear Window, uh, Jim, Jim Stu- Jimmy Stewart is like uh, a celebrated photographer who's taken like, you know, like photos of uh, <laughs> nuclear tests and war and, and war scenes and um, race ca- race you know car races and stuff. So you know that he has an eye and he's an, you know he he'll be able to see what's going on and like eye for detail and. Sorry, I'm getting on a highway. Oh, this guy's speeding up behind me. Motherfucker, let me in. Let me merge. 
want. Can't we all just get along, motherfuckers? Um, uh, whereas uh, Amy Adams is a is a former child psychologist who now I don't know just just live just does agoraphobia all the time and watches old movies. Yeah, so so I think she actually watches Rear Window in the movie because she like watches like Turner classic style movies through the whole movie, which which is. Uh, not great, alright, so yeah, so then it turns out, hey, Jennifer Jason Lee is alive, uh, she's not Julianne Moore, um, there's somebody stalking you, Amy Adams, and who is it, and, but maybe Julianne Moore wasn't a hallucination, you have proof that she wasn't, and then Kurt Russell's stupid kid is like, oh yeah, I fucked her, <laughs> it's true, it's more or less, I mean, you know, it's more, he doesn't say fuck, I don't know. He said, oh, yeah, he's, I fucked her and she was crazy, whatever. And then um, it turns out that she was like a meth addict and she's really the teenage boy's real mom and she's been bugging them this whole time. Um, like birth mom or whatever. You know, we're not real mom, I guess. And, uh, <laughs> and she got, you know, she had a one-night stand with Wyatt Russell and... Um, she was murdered, and it was the teenage boy who did it. The teenage boy is a psycho. He's a weirdo, little incel creepo, and he killed the secretary lady who uh, died before. That's supposed to be the second murder he did, and he's going to kill Amy Adams until Amy Adams uh, uh, overcomes her agoraphobia, runs outside, and is able to push him into the skylight. And and then he's dead and the cops um, apologize to her uh, and then at the last scene in the movie Amy Adams um, sells the brownstone this beautiful brownstone and uh, she looks hot like she's wearing uh, like a stylish designer uh, like long coat and high heels and her hair is like salon fresh and all that wine weight that she had before all that wine bloat, that's gone. It's like reassuring the audience. It's like, oh, no, don't worry. Amy Adams, still hot. All right, so, terrible movie. Terrible movie. But what's, there's several things that are very interesting about it. First of all, um, it's sort of like this tail end of, like, this, like, lady thriller, lady crime thriller thing, uh, which was, like, there was, um, you know, Gone Girl, I think like the genesis of this movie was the cool girl speech and Gone Girl. And then there's another movie. Ah, oh, fuck. Another book and movie. I read the book. I didn't see the movie. Um, that English actress from The Devil Wears Prada and the movie about that stupid movie about the aliens uh, uh, and that movie about, um, what do you call it? The one with Tom, with Tom Cruise. <laughs> What's her name? Uh, she's married to the idiot from The Office. Uh, what is this girl's name? I'm trying to remember the name of the book. Um, it's like someone like... It's about a woman who is a drunk and she um, is a divorced lady and she sees her uh, her old house on the train a lot. Uh, maybe something like View from the Train. And then it turns out that her husband has been gaslighting her the whole time. And, uh, you know... She's like, there's a murder in that one too. But the reason, the connective tissue is that the, so in the cool girl 
speech in Gone Girl is all about like is this it's so in Gone Girl it's like about this sociopath lady who engineers this whole cruel trick on her husband in revenge for him being a shitty mediocre guy and cheating on her um so she engineers this whole thing, this whole like kidnapping thing, and uh, she she sort of gives, she reveals herself. Uh, she does a fake diary, so then she reveals her true nature through this cool girl speech, which is all about how the expectations that men have on women, but it's also you know filtered through her being this duplicitous character and her. Um, am I going the right way? No, I'm not. Alright, that's okay. I'm gonna make an illegal right hand turn. I hope there are no cops around here. Uh, or maybe I won't. Maybe I'll follow the law. Just drive through the parking lot. Alright. So then, and so there's this cool girl speech. It's all about like expectations. You know, it's like you gotta like eat, you know, uh, drink a lot of beer and eat a lot of hot dogs and be cool and accepting, but also be hot and blah blah blah. I don't know. I think it's very relatable for women. It's a good it's a good speech. I'm giving it short shrift. It's a great little thing. I remember when I read it, it kinda of took my breath away. Um but you know the whole subtext of it is that this it's a this duplicitous woman who's conniving and manipulative. But it it is, you know, nonetheless it's like it's very relatable but I think that people forget about the duplicitous part and just look at the relatable part so then you get to the the movie I'm trying to remember the name of I'll put it in the show notes and um, in the book in the movie uh, it was very popular um, I read the book did not see the movie uh, so sorry I'm driving through some construction um so yeah, that whole thing, it's like kind of this convoluted uh, mystery thing, and but it's, and she's an alcoholic, uh, and but the whole thing is like, it, you know, every time that she drinks a lot and stuff, now I'm seeing no left turn here, really? You guys just don't want me to get to go where I'm supposed to go. All right, um, so yeah, it gets to be like this gaslighting thing about like, she wasn't really falling down when she was uh, or whatever. She wasn't really injuring herself. She's not as clumsy as she thought. It was really her husband lying to her the whole time, right? So gaslighting. Another sort of buzzword, you know, mo- you know, and very relatable for women. Also, very like men are trash. Uh, you know, Twitter feminism stuff. Um, and so then you that leads right up into this movie, which is sort of like they're try, they're, it's an attempt to the Amy Adams character is an attempt to kind of follow those that relatability lines, a very relatable thing. And again, like uh, like you if you watch older iterations of crime thrillers like this, you will find that it's not so important for people to be. For the protagonist to be relatable, it just got you know it got to be fully fleshed out people like Jimmy Stewart in Rear Window. He's who's a really interesting character. Like he's like this uh, beyond his professional expertise I talked about before. His whole thing is that he's not ready to get married to Grace Kelly, and he's a little bit judgmental of people. Keeps him at a remove, and again it relates to the photography thing because he's always looking at people, and he's always sort of just a step out of human behavior and so he's trying to uh when grace kelly is trying to get him to be you know to marry her 
And he's like, no, I can't do that. I can't be normal. It's not the thing I do. You know, um, you know I, I got to stay kind of at this remove. And, you know, his whole thing in the movie is kind of alienation a little bit and, you know, not wanting to <clears throat> take part in normal human behavior like getting married. Yeah. So then, but then, but so he's not relatable in that way. It is, but he has a character and he has a story and he has like an arc, you know? And so then with this though, with, with Woman in the Window and, and the other two movies I was talking about, the other two books and movies, uh, the whole thing is that like, it's relatable because she drinks wine all day and, you know, she pops these pills. Um, not that I say all women do that, but I think that, you know, you can kind of see yourself in this situation, you know, and it's sort of this situation of desperateness. And there should have been this, like, um, kind of kind of serendipity to it because it was going to come out originally right before COVID lockdown, right? I've arrived at my destination, Dick's Sporting Goods. It was supposed to come out right at being a lockdown. But um, the everybody hated the movie, <laughs> all the test audiences, and they found it confusing. Um, and so they put the movie on hold, and uh, eventually it was released just now on Netflix. Uh, all right, I'll talk about it more in a minute. I have to go buy a uh, softball glove. I'm going to pause you now. This is a safe place. I'm agoraphobic. I can't go outside. I've been slipping, getting into a really dark frame of mind. Anyway, here we are. So I wanted to talk about the direction of the movie a little bit. Um, so this guy, Joe Wright, is supposed to be a celebrated director. I think he's won some awards and stuff, but... Um, the direction was really weirdly bad. Like I, I watched uh, Rear Window last night, and you know it's a similar premise. Like I said, and the thing about Rear Window, and I know this is a novel opinion. Nobody's ever said it before, but it's a really well-directed movie. You know, it's Alfred Hitchcock, and he knew how to, you know, set up all those dominoes and make them fall. He knew how to use like you know visual language to tell you where to look and what it means and what to care about so this dumb movie it all mostly I'd, I'd say the vast majority of the movie takes place in this one uh, house one brownstone right and so the and it's about somebody with agoraphobia so you're supposed to feel like cramped inside it you know but so he does all this like uh all this camera work the camera moves the camera like moves a bunch and it's like spinning around and tilting and stuff and if you know it's, I guess it's supposed to give you like a sense of disorientation which you know you want I guess to like visualize the psychosis but I kept forgetting what the place looked like like the whole point is supposed to be cramped in this place right you can't escape it you got you got you're trapped in this place with somebody with agoraphobia this is their whole in, interior life that you have a whole view of right and you completely get no sense of that at all because the camera's like tilting and moving all over the place. So it just seems like, you know, the camera is bored. Um, and it doesn't give you any interesting information or any useful or necessary information. Uh, and so 
That's the first thing. And the acting is fine for the most part. Julianne Moore is really good. Amy Adams a little stilted, but kind of has to be because she has nothing to work with because the script is so dumb and the story is so dumb. Um, and, you know, she wears like bathrobes and stuff for the whole movie and <laughs> bathrobes and sweatpants and socks, which, you know, very like, very like um, pandemic-y, uh, pandemic um, kind of uh, milieu. <laughs> So yeah, it would have been like a, the a, probably everybody would have watched it instead of Tiger King if it came out when it was supposed to come out. But the test audiences didn't like it, so it got delayed. And then it was going to be in the theaters, but instead they just dumped it onto Netflix. And so now Netflix has this movie that sucks, but it has um, Gary Oldman and Julianne Moore and Amy Adams uh, and Anthony Mackie in it. You know, so it's like huge movie stars. Well, I don't know about Anthony Mackie, but he's in the Marvel movies, you know. Um, and so it's trying to exploit this, you know, w woman crime thing, and that's why I'm talking about it. This, like, lady crime movie and story thing, right? And but it's doing it in a, in a sloppy way. Uh, it's trying to have a relatable female heroine who's very of the moment and will catch into some kind of buzzwordy thing. Uh, you know, that women are going to watch and, you know, relate to it somehow, but also have talk about it and, you know, social media speak. Like with the, um, fuck, I should have looked up that name of that movie I keep referring to while I was not recording, but I'm not smart enough to do that. So yeah, like the gaslighting in that one, or like the cool girl thing um, in Gone Girl. Uh, so in this, it's you know it's supposed to be like you know about interiority, you know, interior life and depression, and sort of like um, lack of and anxiety, just general social anxiety, and just, you know very familiar tableau of like just staying at your apartment and watching movie after movie after movie. Um, you know, that's just a lot of people's lives. That's, you know, uh, it was predict, it could have been predictive with the pandemic, especially. Um, but you can tell that it's like, it's like, there's a core difference, which is, you know, it's bullshit and it's a bullshit story. Uh, and that's because it was written by a man and not only by a man, but a, but a, a fascinating liar, this sort of like this guy who was um, the author of the book. Um, he wrote it under a pseudonym, like it was like A.J. Flynn. But it turned out it was really like a publishing executive. Uh, you know, he worked for some publishing house and he's an executive there. And I think it was very cold, cynical, like, I can do this too. Um, you know, how can I replicate Gone Girl and kind of sponge off its success? So I made this dumb movie, right? And I, I read some excerpts from it. Uh, and it's very clipped and very, like, buzzy and, you know, references like Luluman and a little bit of, like, um, trying to be, like, trying a, a man's idea of what, like, a, how a woman would think, you know. Uh, like, stuff like women being, the main character, I think it's, it's, it was first person narration and she's, like, talking about being jealous of one, other women and, like, how they look in Luluman or whatever. 
Um, you know, so it's not like these ladies look sexy in their Lululemon yoga pants. It's instead, like, oh, uh, you know, jealousy and a little bit of sour grapes and maybe a little bit of resentment because you know these women look good. You know, and the narrative and the woman speaking doesn't. So, but it tur- but this guy was like an inveterate liar. It turns out there's this big expose about him. This is part of why the movie was delayed. Uh, because when the movie was finished production, it turned out that the guy had just was a serial liar, kind of like um, Matt Damon's character in The Informer. Like he lied about his personal history. He said that his, I think he said his parents were dead when they weren't. He said that he had had some kind of personal traumatic history when he hadn't. He said that he had gone to some, to like Oxford maybe, but really didn't. Uh, maybe, you know, whatever. I mean, that's, um, so that story is actually almost more interesting than, than the fictional story he wrote. It became this, ba- this big celebrated blockbuster. So that was the first thing about it was that this guy, in his personal life, he turned out to be this, all these falsehoods, you know. Um, but also, there's another book that came out around the same time as The Woman in the Window, uh, called um, something like Spring for April or Looking for April or Searching for April. I don't know. And it had it was also about an agoraphobic woman who becomes wrapped up in some family drama and a murder and about a teenager uh, and the teenager is revealed to be the murderer but it's a girl instead of a boy. And uh, the books came out contemporaneously so it's hard to tell if that was like a ripoff or just parallel thinking, like, you know, mediocre minds <laughs> uh, sharing the same idea. Uh, so that's, you know, one thing, like, it had the same plot as this other book, which I think was actually written by a woman, unlike uh, The Woman in the Window. And then, um, it turns out a lot of it was lifted from this 1990, a lot of the plot of Woman in the Window, it seems, was lifted from this movie from 1995 called uh, Copycat, which starred Sigourney Weaver and Helen Hunt and uh, Dolmet Mulroney, Dermot Mulroney, I don't know, whatever that guy's name is, that actor. You know, he was in like a lot of 90s movies. I think he was like Julia Roberts' boyfriend a bunch of times. Anyway, so if you ever want to watch a terrible, terrible movie um, and get some insight into how bad movies geared towards adults were in the 90s, watch Copycat. So it's like... Um, I watched like the first half and I turned it off because I love myself too much. And also the, the illegal stream I was watching kind of petered out. So Sigourney Weaver's like this um, uh, psycholo- maybe a psychologist, or, and, but she also writes these books where she profiles serial killers and then a serial killer attacks her and then she gets agoraphobia from that attack and then she's in her house and she kind of does like the Hannibal Lecter thing from her house of like trying to help uh, policewoman Helen Hunt track down a new serial killer and the serial killer it turns out that she you know she's such an expert in fucking serial killers Gordon Weaver she's like well he's doing the same thing as Jeffrey Dahmer and um, uh, John Wayne Gacy and whoever the other famous serial killers were at the time um, and it's all stuff like if you've read like like the Wikipedia it, it predates Wikipedia but it's like if you read the Wikipedia entry on serial killers, 
you'd have the same amount of information that Sigourney Weaver's serial killer expert displays in this fucking dumb movie. And also, like Sigourney Weaver, she's like a nine-foot-tall lady whose most famous movie role is fighting the alien and aliens. You know, the alien and alien. Like, there's a reason why she's the lady that James Cameron, like, gets to fight the alien and also, like, gets for fucking Avatar. Like, she's, eight, she's like eight feet tall. And, you know, she doesn't know how to take shit from anybody. She's the least vulnerable actress in the world. So you're watching her pretend to be this, like... Uh, anxiety crippled agoraphobe uh, serial killer expert and there's a scene where like her, she's trying she can't get her newspaper out of the hallway right you know so she like she falls to her hallway floor in a heap trying to get her newspaper it's like well she's an agoraphobe so she can't go outside so she go into a fucking hallway man that doesn't seem to really track all that well um, and so the plot of uh, the agoraphobia and a lot of that shit kind of is is borrowed heavily for um, for the woman in the window, and I didn't see enough to watch it, but that's been the the plagiarism has been noted elsewhere, like in newspaper articles and whatnot. All right, and also I think on the Wikipedia page for the book. Right, so it's a plagiarized novel by a serial fabricator. Um, who kind of, who wrote under a pseudonym with initials to appear to be a woman. So then, and the whole, all this fucking shit came out while the movie was being made. And then they put it in front of test audiences and they're confused by the movie. So there are all these reshot, reshoots, right? Um, and so it's a horrible movie. And... But it's but it's but it's informative. It's sort of it says something about our modern era because if you look at you know obviously and again like even that dumb copycat movie, uh, I'm assuming at some point it goes into the rear window thing where she can't leave the apartment and witnesses something and you know sees it from a distance or whatever. So it's a still even though it's a rip off of it's a rip off of a rip off. You know, and this idea keeps coming around again and again. But you already have Rear Window, uh, and but people think they can either find new possibilities for the premise or whatever. I mean, you can do like Rear Window with a woman. That's you know different dynamic. That sounds great. Which is what they kind of try to do in this movie. But um, you know, Rear Window is different and it's more well constructed. Uh, and there's more thought put into it, and all of the dominoes are lined up, and they all fall expertly. Whereas this is a sloppy-ass fucking movie. That doesn't... And also, to a degree, I think, maybe you could say that there's something about Rear Window that... There's a statement, you know, like it says something about, about the human condition. It's not just merely a thriller. Whereas this is merely a thriller, and not even a successful one at that. All right, I'm back home. Um, I think I've kind of said most of what I wanted to say. Maybe that's the whole episode. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me finish out this thought. So, I mean, the thing is, like, it shows how we, how, uh, how much our imagination has been put on blinders because we can't even imagine, you know, like this successful, dashing, heroic uh, character anymore. It has to be some failure 
uh, woman in sweatpants who um, is the world's worst child psychologist and doesn't even recognize the uh, serial killer sociopath child uh, that you know she interacts with. Um, you can't be good at your job. You can't be good at the plot. Uh, you can't even leave your apartment. I mean, you know, but that there's really, they bent over backwards for reasons for Jimmy Stewart not to leave his apartment and rear window. Like both of his legs are broken. You see initially in the movie that one of the early scenes, he can't even like scratch underneath his cast. That's how immobile he is. He can't even access his cast. All right. And then you have, um, so then, but the cast, you know, the immobility and, and woman in the window is just agoraphobia, just fear and anxiety, which cannot be overcome. Um, I mean, it is sort of at the end of the movie. Uh, but it's like, you know, so the, the original iteration is like, is Jimmy Stewart dashing photographer immobilized by, uh, you know, injury. And then you jump to the 90s and you have Sigourney Weaver uh, agoraphobia, but she's, you know, a celebrated... A world famous serial killer psychologist bullshit author whatever so at least that's you know big and something and then you jump to our present day and it's got to be just some uh shitty wine mom who killed her family <laughs> you know that's what it has to be as he's super relatable and depressing and just all the color drained out um I'd say it's a fun movie to watch, though, knowing it sucks and uh, bearing in mind that it could just end. If it ends with the big twist, the first big twist reveal, it's interesting. Of course, it doesn't, so it's just boring. Anyway, maybe that's uh, maybe that's all she wrote, motherfuckers. All right, thanks, guys. Bye.